From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, February 24th. The Grand County Commission was in session this week, so... What happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? What exactly happened at the meeting? Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News has an answer. At this week's meeting, Grand County Commissioners voted against moving an off-road event forward in their special permitting process. The Moab Red Rock Roundup missed the county's submission deadline for an intent to apply. But organizers said outdated information on the county's website misled them about the process. However, Commissioner Kevin Walker felt it made no sense to make an exception. He argued the outdated information did not cause organizers to miss the deadline, and public comment opposed to the event made it unlikely to be approved. The commission voted 2-4 to four against approving the intent to apply with Commissioner Mary McGann abstaining. Visitation to Sandflats Recreation Area has increased 99% over the past 12 years, and land managers are considering paving more of the Sandflats Road to address traffic safety and reduce dust. The project will be funded by a federal grant, and a letter of support was recently approved by the commission. However, commission members discussed the project again after some community members complained that there hadn't been enough public discussion about the project. Commissioners acknowledged the need for better communication, but said that they felt the benefits of the project outweighed the concerns. And that's what happened at this week's Grand County Commission meeting. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com. You can also watch these meetings on YouTube. Find Grand County, Utah and Moab City there. Now the weekly newsreel where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Last week, police arrested a local man they say is behind a felony level of vandalism to public infrastructure. A search of 39-year-old Christian Wright's home recovered illicit narcotics and assault rifles, as well as thousands of anti-UTV stickers of the same make and model found on local street signs in recent months. Doug McMurdo of The Times Independent has more from the police investigation. It began in June when then Grand County Attorney Christina Sloan received a message on social media from the defendant, Christian Wright, in that um, he basically said he was going to murder the owners of a 4 by 4 rental company near his home with an axe in front of the family um, and that he has PTSD and it would something to the effect that it would be justifiable. That obviously raised a lot of alarms at the Moab Police Department. Obviously, Christina Sloan um, said, hey, this is something that should come to the attention of law enforcement. So that was when police first became aware. And Moab Police Officer Eric Pratt was the, the lead investigator on this. And um, it's a 7,000 word affidavit of probable cause, uh, the court document that uh, from which all this information came from. Anyway, um, it appears that Mr. Wright had had uh, serious grudges against a lot of um, entities and individuals, uh, including his parents. He threatened to kill his own father uh, in a letter, a nine-page letter he wrote to his mother that was never sent. It was in a, a group of papers that he gave to a woman in the event something happened to him. She was alarmed enough that she, too, went to Moab police and said, you need to look at this. I'm concerned about this man. This is a friend of um, Wright. This is a friend of Mr. Wright. Um, so now we have more writings and more ramblings. And there were there were quite a few points of contention that I, I highlight in this story. 
he had a problem with National Park Service. He was uh, formerly a contract employee, a uh, historian. His fellow employees at uh, Arches National Park expressed concerns about things that he would say. And he was fired on Labor Day. And uh, shortly afterwards, he and an old college friend, uh, she drove up from Colorado to uh, drive with him to a mutual friend's wedding in Spokane. And on the way there and on the way back, his uh, behavior became increasingly erratic. And um, he had said things like, he's buying all these AR-15s, he's going to stash them around town. And um, she noticed that his mental health had deteriorated. And um, she told him on the way back that she no longer wanted to be his friend um, at this time because of his his behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, she was scared of him. And his reaction was to um, seven times uh, threaten to stop the car and kick her out in the middle of nowhere. So she also went to Moab police. So this is a third person that has mm-hmm. brought him to, to light. So as things escalated on the 10th, a local, ironically, a ATV, OHV rental company is viewing a surveillance video uh, from the night before. And lo and behold, there's a man putting mm-hmm. stickers mm-hmm. Uh, on, on light poles and stop signs in the area of uh, uh, 300 South and Main Street. Mm-hmm. And then um, an employee of uh, City Market had an interaction with Mr. Wright, and she was able to pick him out of a lineup of uh, photographs. Mm-hmm. And then they're aware that he has AR-15s because Officer Pratt did a, a trash grab. Mr. Wright brought his trash to the curb, and at that point, it's public property. Anybody can go through it. And he, did, and he, he didn't find anything like super incriminating, but um, there was no smoking gun, but there was evidence that he had purchased an uh, AR-15 because all the labeling on the boxes in the trash was for components or accessories for AR-15-type mm-hmm. type rifles. Mm-hmm. So they they were positive it was his trash because there was metal in there with his name on it. And they were able to find out then that he had weapons. Um, At that point, I believe that the police decided they had enough to uh, convince Judge Torgerson to sign a a search warrant uh, for the home and the vehicles that were on the property. And that's where they allegedly found the guns, hallucinogenic mushrooms, and he had the weapons. Now, he was a legal gun owner. But for the alleged drugs, you Mm. can't possess both weapons and drugs. That's a federal offense. It's a serious charge. Um, And that's why the guns are an issue in this story. He was a legal owner until that very moment. Then he became a restricted person. So my thought, and I'll probably get criticized for this, but what my hope is, is that Mr. Wright gets uh, some help. He obviously is in a really rough, dark place. It's something that um, uh, it highlights, you know, maybe he was triggered by the sound of OHVs um, over at that business. We don't know what the trigger was. So, you know, all the all the pieces that you laid out from law enforcement's perspective, this was adding up to be a threat assessment case. It was a threat assessment, and they addressed it like professionals. They removed Mr. Wright from the equation. They knew he was not home when they executed that search warrant mm-hmm. because they had just detained him and arrested him on a traffic stop. That's how you avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. You don't have to de-escalate anything if it, if it, if it never gets escalated. Mm-hmm. 
You know, many people in the community might be familiar with Wright, either from social media or public forums or personally. This is a community member who is is known to a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of people who are fond of him. Right. And I think there is a sentiment among certain community members, you know, pointing out that we haven't heard from Wright yet. All we've heard from is the police, from law enforcement um, and their investigation. And I'm hoping you can address that, Doug, with your experience as a longtime trial reporter. Yeah, There's a a couple of things to consider. We really need to, as the media, we really need to um, find out who is going to represent Mr. Wright and uh, communicate through them. They would be really upset. We would burn that bridge. Um, and, and it would be unethical, I think, to uh, to allow Mr. Wright to, to speak without his lawyer present at this point. People are accused of crimes are presumed innocent. And I take that very seriously. I always have. Until proven otherwise, I want to give him every benefit to uh, not incriminate himself in a newspaper story or a radio interview or, or anything like that because of his agitated mental state. And, you know, I do want to point out that it seems likely that the charges will carry a court date. So there will be more information coming out about it. Oh, absolutely. I expect that the uh, file will grow exponentially from here on out. Right now, there's only two items on it. Uh, and it's also important to note that Judge Torgerson ordered Mr. Wright held without bail. So uh, the judge certainly thinks that there's a, a threat to consider. Thank you, Doug. Now, beyond this 2,500-word tome, there is more, actually, in the Times Independent that you'd like to highlight. Yes, this is a more reasonable five or 600-word <laughs> tome. Uh, we are the uh, proud home of a new state champion. Not only a state champion, but the only freshman in Grand County High Wrestling history to win a state championship, Austin Paris. I've been covering Austin uh, largely through uh, stories that his mother has submitted since he was in fifth grade. Uh, He's a phenom. He has uh, won hundreds and hundreds of matches, and everywhere he goes, he just wins and wins and wins. And as a freshman, he had, uh, to me, uh, uh, an astonishing 50-1 record before he went 3 and at the state championship. He had a tough, tough final. Uh, he won on points 4-2. That's a close match for six minutes of wrestling. So um, he's a good kid. I talked to him, and um, he hopes to be a four-time state champion. Wow. I mean, when you win as a freshman, then you have to think about that, you know, right. because it's in play. That's incredible. This freshman winning this title is yeah. a huge deal, and he must have a lot of drive. Yeah, he's absolutely committed, and he's a mentor to young wrestlers too. His plan is to uh, wrestle in college and um, uh, in the future at some point he intends to return to Moab and coach wrestling uh, to pay it forward. He uh, was very gracious in thanking um, his coaches because uh, he probably wouldn't be where he was without them and he just wants to come back and pay it forward. Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Moab Community Theater is planning for a comeback. As Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News explains, a group of local thespians is hoping a new generation of players will revive this local tradition. 
Mellow Community Theater is this group formed in 1973 that throughout the years would put on multiple professional level plays and musicals in and around Southeast Utah. So they would perform a lot in Star Hall, but also sometimes they would take their shows on the road. And um, a couple longtime members estimated that in the 50 years that Mob Community Theater has been around, they've produced around 80 shows. Um, so it was really, really popular. But for the past few years, engagement with the group has really dwindled. Um, and that's because longtime members have left Moab or passed away. Um, Moab became more seasonal, meaning the group brought in few new members. And also producing a show is a really time consuming hobby. And it's one that many who live in Moab now don't have time for. Mm. So I talked to Donnie Kiffmeyer, Jimmy Farrow and Christy Williams, who are all have been involved with Moab Community Theater for a really long time. And they've been talking about trying to revive it. Um, and so this would be something that they're really hoping a new generation can take on. Um, the three friends, we all kind of sat down in a room together and really it was just like them talking and me <laughs> listening. Um, they have this really easy banter between them and they all said that they've met their best friends through Mob Community Theater and had all these really amazing things to say about it. It's just that as people have gotten busy, it's re been really hard to get people to do shows. And, you know, Christy Williams said that um, when she first moved to Moab, she was able to live here on $6,000 a year. Mm. And so every winter she could spend three months not working and just mm -hmm. putting on these shows. Um, and that's kind of what the group would do is they would do these bigger productions that would take, you know, three months to build the sets and do the costumes and do all the rehearsals. Mm. Uh, and then they would put them on in the spring mm. and kind of in the late winter. So now they're trying to bring the group back. Okay, so like you mentioned, one of the reasons this might have been possible for so long for everybody involved in Moab Community Theater is because their cost of living was low. Mm -hmm. um, did they have anything to say about that that challenge? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they all mentioned that they've talked a lot of times about why the group has kind of dwindled. Mm -hmm. um, and that is definitely one of the reasons that they think. And they also said um, the shows are pretty much all volunteer. So mm -hmm. it was always an open audition like open to anyone um but then it was all volunteer for building the sets and the costumes and they did have funding so um Moab community theater still has a bunch of money in the bank according to jimmy farrow and when it was in its heyday that money would kind of roll over into each next show and so they would spend it on creating the sets and doing the costumes and creating programs even and then w with ticket sales they would fund the next show and so they still have enough money to put on a couple more shows I know there's a meeting coming up, sort mm -hmm. of a meeting of the minds of anybody interested in theater, and they're hoping to revive it in a new way. Yeah. And can you tell us about that? Yeah, definitely. They are going to have an interest meeting. So it's on March 1st. And anyone with a minimal amount of interest is invited to stop by. And that could be, you know, if you're interested in acting or set building or producing plays or um Christy Williams said, you know, what used to happen is that people would see a play or read a play and they would get obsessed and say, like, I need to see this thing done. Mm -hmm. And they would be the ones to see it through in Moab. And so if anyone has gotten bit by that bug, they really want you to stop by. So it's on March 1st at the Grand County Public Library at 545 p.m. And people can also contact moabtheater at gmail.com with questions.
We're all looking forward to Moab Community Theater 2.0. Yes. <laughs> what they can pull off in a new world. Yeah. Um, well, you've written more in the Moab's and News Alley. Um, there's an upcoming art exhibit. Can you tell us about this? Yeah. So this new exhibit is called Sentinels, and it'll be on display at the USU Moab campus from March through May. I didn't realize they had art exhibits. I know. Yeah. Kind of new for them. Okay. Um, and this one is especially cool. So it's created by these two artists, Todd Anderson and Bruce Crownover. And the two of them are woodcut printmakers. So they make these giant wood cuttings that are, you know, 30 inches by two feet. And Todd Anderson in particular got really interested in creating art about um, the effects of climate change. And so he started working with Bruce Crownover a while ago when Bruce was one of his professors at UW-Madison. And Todd became interested in creating art about climate change when he read an article about glacial retreat in Glacier National Park in 2010. So he and Bruce worked on their first project together, which was called The Last Glacier. And it was this book about um, glacial retreat. And the two of them made these giant woodcut prints about um, glaciers and really capturing what's happening there. And so ever since then, they've kind of been continuing this idea of creating art about um, things that are happening to our world. And so Anderson, a couple of years ago, read an article about erodification in the mm -hmm. desert, how it's getting drier and hotter and how that changing weather is actually impacting our trees. So it's really impacting um, pinyon and juniper pines. And so he decided he wanted to document this phenomenon. So he again invited Crownover to join him in creating a project. And then the two of them reached out to Gary Macklis, who's a professor of environmental sustainability at Clemson. Um, his research focuses on conservation science. And so the three of them spent two years taking trips to Bears Ears and Grand Staircase, where they would document the trees and take photos and do sketches and then the two artists would go back to their studio and create these art pieces to mm. kind of show what was going on and then Macklis created these like fictional essays um, to give context to the work and so they turned those 12 prints into this big art exhibit and Macklis ended up doing three of the fictional essays um, so all of those works are put together as the art exhibit called Sentinels, and then also they published a book. It's so interesting um, where people draw inspiration for their art, and um, climate change seems to be a theme among artists, yeah, um, especially in this region. And is it up now? It goes up in March, and okay. so there will be an opening reception on Friday, March 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. And all of the artists in Maclis too, said that they were really excited to return back to Utah and kind of show how thankful they were um, for this area and also share their work with the local community. And there's one more piece I'm hoping you can mention, Allie, in the Moab Sun News, upcoming classes. Yes. In November, USU Moab welcomed a new welding instructor named Chloe Wilson. Super exciting because um, she's a woman, first of all, and also she's really passionate about welding and um, is really excited to share welding with this community. And so she's been creating these classes and workshops and certification programs for people in Moab to learn how to weld. And so 
The first welding class at USU got underway this winter. Um, the welding classes are really small, so this one was only four students so that everyone had a chance to really learn and um, work on projects. And so the four students worked on creating a very functional project in our community, and they made metal bike racks to be installed at Proper Brewing. Welding opportunities at USU have um, kind of created a lot of chatter in the community about people being really excited about them. Yeah. I think art is definitely one of the reasons. Right. Yeah, welding can be functional, it can be art. Um, And Chloe Wilson said that a lot of the students came in with minimal or no experience at all. And so they started with raw metal and then created this really functional project. Um, And they also partnered with local businesses. So Proper Brewing was the one who proposed the idea. Um, And then it worked with like local bike shops around town to come up with the design of the bike rack. And then local businesses like Moab Metalworks and Kurtz Custom Welding contributed materials. So this really became like this big community project. And that's something that Wilson really wants to stress for the rest of the welding classes too. USU offers two certificates in welding. So they offer a proficiency certificate, which can be completed in one semester um, with a full course load and a completion certificate, which is completed in two full semesters of welding classes. Um, And the completion program costs less than $3,000 and graduates leave with a professional certificate. And then um, Chloe's also hosting a women's welding workshop starting in March, where participants will complete a small project in four once a week sessions. There are going to be two sessions a week of the women's welding workshop that each accommodate eight participants. Um, The spots filled up super quickly for that. And so if anyone's interested, they can contact USU and get on the waiting list. Allison Harford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the Weekly Newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that we mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio. 